You are listening to Let's Talk, and I am Dr. Hassan Batts. I am uh, blessed, excited to be in the studio with Walter Beach III, Hepku Neheti. Brother, it is a pleasure to be here with you, man. Well, the pleasure is mine, doctor. Listen, thank you for joining me, for joining us. Uh, I really want our listeners to meet you, to hear about your journey, to share some of the wisdom that you have. Um, so we're going to jump right in. Well, 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 let's start with your name. Hepku Nehete, what does it mean? And, and yeah, uh, My wife and myself, we studied uh, with Samaj in Brooklyn mm-hmm. about the, uh, the ancient culture in Kemet, okay. uh, basically known as Egypt. Mm-hmm. So uh, Samaj gave me that name, Hepku Nehete. He who has faith in the divine way. Mm. He who has faith in the divine way. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. So, so you are a 90-year-old black man in the Lehigh Valley. You have lived many lives. Man. Tell us about the world. Tell us about your journey. <laughs> it's, mm. been a, it's been a beautiful and wonderful journey. Mm-hmm. I was born in Michigan, Pontiac, Michigan. Okay. And um, most of my experiences in Michigan, uh, I come from a uh, beautiful family. My mother, little dainty woman, Mm -hmm. tiny woman named Tranquilla. Tiny? Tranquilla. Because you stand about 6'2", 6'3", or something. Yeah, because I got to tell you about my daddy. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) My father, who was a big man about... Six four, mm-hmm. about two fifty, and uh, he was um, a king, mm. and uh, uh, the light of my life. Wow! I learned so much from my father, my father's uncle. I used to call him Uncle James. My father's nephew, my father's brother. So I was always surrounded by uh, strong black men. That's what I'm hearing. And all of my father's friends, you know. So when I grew up in Pontiac, uh, my daddy was called Big Beach. And I was called Little Beach. And uh, I used to sit out in the, in the, uh, the yard and they'd play bid whist. And uh, as a young uh, man, they'd give me a hand and say, Little Beach, you play this hand. Mm-hmm. And they'd tell me how to play bid whist. One of the messages I always got out of bid whist is that when you bid in whist, I don't know who, if you know how to play it or not, you have a major suit, and that suit is ranked over the other suit. You bid, you might want to make hearts trump, you might want to make spades trumps, or whatever your, your hand reflects. So you determine what your suit is going to be. Okay. So uh, I'm going to share a story with you. We lived in the Balkan building. My mother, my father, my sister. We lived in two rooms in the Balkan building. And in the evening, we played bid whist. One day, the policeman came by, and I was about five or six years old. And I know how to play bid whist, right? Mm-hmm. So the policeman come by, and he said, uh, I'm looking for Mr. Douglas. So I'm five or six. I said, oh, yeah, I know where Mr. Douglas lives, <laughs> you know. So I take the policeman to Mr. Doug. To I, Mr. I know Doug. this isn't going to end well, man. Yeah. I took the policeman <laughs> to Mr. Doug's 
room. Mm-hmm. We had a room. Mr. Dog had a room. Mm-hmm. I knocked on the door, and he said, who is it? I said, Mr. Dog, it's me. Oh, he said, oh, Little Beach. I said, yeah. He opened the door, and then the policeman arrested him. Mm. So <laughs> it took him off to jail. So I don't know the outcome or what the specifics of that was about. But that evening, uh, when they were out there playing whist, the conversation was about Mr. Doug getting arrested. And Mr. Rochelle said to me, Little Beach. I said, what? He said, do you know that Mr. Doug is your Trump? Said, be it what? Your Trump card is your highest card. Okay. So... Mr. Doug is your Trump. I'm your Trump. Your daddy is your Trump. Mm. All black men are your Trump. Mm. You have to stand with them before you stand with anyone else. Wow. And that's just a lesson. So you learned that young. That's my lesson. That's right. Now, everybody have lessons. But mine is, that was my lesson. Wow. I'm 13 years old in Washington Junior High School. In my English class, Miss Landis, my English teacher, a Caucasian woman, I'm going to say a white woman, and I'll, sp- I'll explain that to you later, but a white woman, and she said, we're going to have a minstrel show, and we want you to paint your face nigger black. That's what the teacher said That's to That's what the teacher said to me. So I go home, and I tell my mother, and my mother said, okay. So the next morning, I get up to go to school. My mother would just send me and my sister off to school, but she got dressed, and she's walking me to school. I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to school with you. I said, going to school? Like, I'm, I'm just nine years old, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, she said, going to school? I said, yeah. She said, because I want to talk to Miss Landis. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother went to school, and needless to say, there was no minstrel show put on. That's right. There's no minstrel show. So I had to make those kind of distinctions in my life. And uh, the final one I'm going to tell you the story is that every summer we would go to Mounds, Illinois. That's where my mother's from, Mounds, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we stayed with my, my cousin Bessie and my cousin Ethel. I'm nine years old, right? I'm down there just playing like nine-year-olds play. And... Uh, white boy says to me that he can outrun anyone. And my cousin, Jimmy, said, well, you can't outrun. They call me June because I was mm-hmm. a junior. Say, you can't outrun June. So we have a race. And uh, fortunately, I won the race. And the white boy says, that's not fair. Niggas shouldn't be able to run faster than white boys. Mm. Now, this is Mounds, Illinois. So I hit him. We had a fight. Mm-hmm. And after the fight, this is what's so interesting. After the fight, we continued to play. Just kids being kids. Just kids being kids, man. And I go home to Doris and Bessie's, and I'm wondering what the commotion is. And the commotion is uh, the minister, black minister, and some other members of the community is at the house talking to my mother. And so when I come in, uh, my mother said, did you have a fight? I said, oh, yeah. I said, I had a fight with this white boy. He called me a nigger. And I said, and after we had the fight, we played ball. We had played b- ball together. Well, the Ku Klux Klan, the hooded clans, mm-hmm. was coming to get 
the black boy, who was me, who had hit the white boy. The nine-year-old black boy. Nine-year-old. And my mother and Bessie, my Aunt Bessie and, and, and my Aunt Ethel, they put my sister's dress on me. Mm. I mean, I, I, why, I say, why I'm saying this, this always kind of brings me to tears. They put my sister's dress on me, and when the mob came, we got through the mob because I was dressed like a girl. And 81 years later, you remember that and, and, and ready to go to tears. One of the most profound experiences that I've ever had. Wow. Because I was facing whatever mob do with hoods on. That's right. In Mounds, Illinois, and everybody in the community was turned the lights out and went into the house and I got on the train. So all I'm doing is reflecting and living out of my experience. And for me, experience is, uh, my wife and I, we talk about a lot, experience is the ultimate truth to one's reality. Mm-hmm. That was my reality. I don't know what anybody else's reality has been. You didn't have to read this in a book or watch it on television. Or nothing for care. No, I wasn't, I ain't talking about nothing for care. <laughs> you live this. Yeah, I, I, I am this. You, I, you are this. Yeah. I am this. Wow. Yeah. So, my, my, you know, my life's been very interesting. I, I was kind of... Uh, Fortunate and blessed, I was probably uh, academically sound in high school, and uh, mm-hmm. I was an outstanding high school athlete. And uh, everything has always gone kind of well in my life. I was inducted into the army, and rather to go to the army, my uh, uncle James he said, "Man, he said you don't want to go in the army and fight." Mm-hmm. He said, "So why don't you join the Air Force?" Okay. So uh, I joined the United States Air Force. Okay. Once I got through basic training, uh, I was a cryptographic operator. So I was put into a top secret and high clearance uh, unit in the Air Force. So that's how I got through the, I got through the Air Force. Played football in uh, the Air Force, United States Air Force. I was on a, on a football team. And when I left the Air Force, because I did play football in the Air Force, it was uh, a Caucasian gentleman who was in the Navy, and uh, he thought that I had the ability to play. So uh, when I got out, he made some arrangements for me to, to interview at, at several universities. So I, had a, I was recruited by uh, the University of Michigan. Okay. I was recruited by Michigan State. Mm-hmm. And I had a fairly decent high school success. But I'd gone into the Air Force. And so when I got out of the Air Force, some teams wanted to look at me. I had an interview with, uh, I think it was Biggie Munn at that time. This probably aged people. And I can't think of the Michigan State coach. And then there was a little college, Central Michigan University, Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Kelly. Which did you choose? I'm going to tell you that story. So they all came to see my, they came to my house Mm -hmm. to talk to me and my father and my mother about me going to the University of Michigan and going to the University of Michigan State. And Bill Kelly came in from Central Michigan, little teacher's college. And uh, after that meeting, Mr. Kelly said, you could go to Central Michigan and you could be a big fish, that's the metaphor, a big fish in a little pond. Mm -hmm. My father's response was, he can be a big fish in a big pond. That's right. So uh, 
that was, that, that was just part of the combination, mm-hmm. conversation. And then he left, and my mother said to me, she said, June, I said, what? She said, I like Mr. Kelly. She said, Mr. Kelly's a good man. Now, I done told you she done, she'd seen two other people recruiting me. Mm-hmm. So whatever it was, she said, I like Mr. Kelly because Mr. Kelly is a good man. So that was the choice I made. I went to Central Michigan. Okay. I got to Central Michigan. I was the only black ball player up there, man. Mm. Central Michigan University in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. When you enter Mount Pleasant, Michigan, they got a sign. All colored people be out of town at sunset. Oh, it's one of them sundown towns. <laughs> That's right. Phone, right. So... <laughs> Oh, this is funny, man. <laughs> you know, but I sat up there. I, I stayed up there for four years and played uh, a football and made. Uh, Cause it was a little college. I was a little all American. Okay. And uh, Mr. Kelly always treated me well. So uh, we would travel as a t- football team. Sixty people on the little yellow bus. We go to, wherever we went. We went as a team. But when we went to uh, Western Illinois. Southern Illinois, Iowa, Carbondale, Illinois. Mm-hmm. We'd come in as a team. Everybody check in. And when I'd get off the bus, most of the team members had already checked into the hotel. Mm-hmm. When I get off the bus to check in, they tell Coach Kelly, he can't stay here. Coach Kelly said, you mean he can't stay here? He said, we don't let no blacks stay in this hotel. So Coach Kelly said, all right. He would remove the whole team. He said, Central Michigan players from this football team won't stay here then yeah. if he can't stay here. Wow. And on three occasions, the entire Central Michigan football team slept in buses. Because the hotels wouldn't let you stay Because they wouldn't there. let me stay there. Wow. So we're talking about 60, 70 guys. Right. And we're talking about one Caucasian gentleman that my mother said was a good man. <laughs> she, she saw it. She yeah, sensed she it said, about him. She said, he's a good man. So, therefore, I made the All-American. Then I was drafted by I was drafted by the New York Giants. So you went professional. You played professional football. Yeah, I played uh, two years with the New England Patriots at mm-hmm. that time. And then I played uh, four years with the Cleveland Browns. And okay. uh, we were world champions on one of those uh, in 1964. What's that mean? Like the Super Bowl? That, that was the super. That was considered the super. That was the world champion. Okay. It was. Uh-huh. The, that's that's what it was that time, in the National Football League, the team that won, and uh, that's when we won. Big Jim Brown was our. You know, you probably heard of him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to share a story with you. I got married, had a wife, three kids, wanted to move into uh, Cleveland, and wanted to uh, buy a house. And of course, you buy a house, you need money. Mm-hmm. Get a mortgage. So uh, I'm just out of college. I ain't got no money. So I called Bill Kelly. And I said, Coach, he said, what? I said, uh, well, me and my wife, we want to purchase a house. I said, but I ain't got no money now. You know, I said, I'm just out, just out of college. Well, he said, go to Clare, Michigan. Go to First National Bank and ask for Johnny Williams. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what's that? He said, just go up there and there. He said, and you'll get some money to buy a house. Got in my car, drove to the bank, Mr. Williams, and he, he, he said, oh, yes, 
another Caucasian gentleman mm -hmm. said, uh, Bill Kelly called and told me you'd be up here. I said, yeah. He said, what you need? I said, well, I'm trying to buy a house. I don't know what I need. He said, well, make the arrangements. And he said, I'll see that it's financed. Okay. So, again, and I, and I say this and I always say it with honor and proud. Mama said, Mr. Kelly is a good man. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm focusing on this is because later on a lot of people will think that I'm talking about white people as being racist. I'm talking about white people that I've known that don't operate out of that whiteness. Because mm -hmm. that whiteness, to me, this is to me, that whiteness is the orthodoxy and theology of white supremacy and racism. So all Caucasians don't embrace that philosophy. Okay. So that's how I make my distinction. If you want to be white and operate out of whiteness, you got a problem with me. But if you want to be a Caucasian and operate out of your humanity, I ain't got no problem with you. So you, you are in brotherhood, in alignment with humanity, people that with embrace the, the with humanity. With the rest of the universe. With the rest of the universe. Tell me about how has the world changed? So, so, so we talked about being in Illinois, nine years old, the Klan showing up ready to, to we know they was ready to lynch a nine-year-old boy, black boy. Uh, fast forward 2023, you've lived many lifetimes. How has the world changed? Well. Or that, has it, right? Well, that's what I want to know. You know, for me, it hasn't changed. Okay. In a substantive way. There's been some minor, mm -hmm. some minor aspects of, you know, you don't get lynched and they pull you out of your car and lynch you like the Klan did. Okay. But I just heard the other day a young black boy got shot 14 years old knocking on the door. That's right. That's right. Now and, his, my and, and his neighbor got let out of the jail just like they would have 90 years ago, right? Right. And not only that, uh, it does not boggle the wheel to understand what it is. For me... I have an operating term that I call just because. Okay. When you get shot at 14 by knocking on the door, it's just because you're black. No one will convince me, and I'm not an attorney, and I'm not a police officer, that if a 14-year-old white boy knocks on the door of a white homeowner, that the white homeowner is not going to just shoot him. That's right. So you're not going to convince me. No, and, and that's all the information you got. Only information you got is that a 14-year-old white boy knocks on the home of any white individual in America, and he's going to get shot behind the screen just because he knocked on the door. That's Ralph Yarl. What's yeah. his name? The gentleman who got shot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've lived my life with that just because a lot of things happen to you but when it happens just because you're black people don't want to have that conversation though no they don't want to have that because people don't people are not honest mm -hmm. they don't want to deal with the things that uh, uh <laughs> you know they they want to be uh fall into all of those categories of uh, i always think about uh, a man beating up his wife and you beat up your wife and then you become a good Christian because you, you pray to the priest, the rabbi. For forgiveness. For, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't intend to until you beat up again next week. Mm. 
and then the next week, and then uh, after several times, uh, the rabbi or the priest will send you for therapy. Mm-hmm. They won't address the fact that you're not following those particular codes. Mm. So, well, you know, that's just, I don't, I don't know if you want it, all this, but that's just yeah, what I yeah. Want. This that's, is this is this that's is powerful, all I wanted man. to talk about. Man. This is you, you've told me a story before about being on the plane when you played for the uh, the Browns and the, and the the owner. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that that story that I told you about Doc was uh, uh we always went first class. We travel first class mm-hmm. to, to teams, you know. And in fact, uh, I was just sharing it because we heard something the other day. My wife and I, the gym, we used to wear a three piece suit. Okay. Carry our attaché cases, mm-hmm. and uh, we were always uh, professionally dressed. Although mm-hmm. we were football players, that's how we were. That's how we went on the train travel. So on the plane, we're going to Los Angeles at this time to play the Los Angeles round. And I'm on the plane, and I'm reading a book, and the owner, Arthur Modell, who owned the Cleveland Browns at that time, came by on the airplane, and he said, "What? How you doing?" I said, "Okay." He said, "What you reading?" I put up the book, Message to the Black Man, by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Mm-hmm. He said, you reading that? I said, yeah. He said, I don't want you to read that. I said, okay. And he left. He came back about 30 minutes later, walking down the aisle in, the, in that big airplane. He said, I thought I told you that I didn't want you to read that book. And that's just the way he said it. Yeah. And I said, I thought you was joking. He said, no, I'm not joking. I said, Mr. Modell, a man can't tell another man what to read. Now, you own this football team, but you don't own me, man. Mm. And when we get to Los Angeles, give me my money and I go home. And (laughs) it got quiet on the plane, man. Yeah, yeah. It got quiet on the plane. So, So your entire life, you've been standing up. Hey, man, you didn't mess with Big Beach. Mm-hmm. My, my father was a uh, correction and peace officer. He worked for the sheriff. Okay. And if somebody was uh, out of state, they'd send Daddy to go get him. Mm. And my father and I said, Daddy, I said, you go. He said, I'll go get everybody, you know. He wasn't scared. No, he said, I put handcuffs on them. And I said, suppose they didn't want to be handcuffed. He said, if they didn't want to be handcuffed, I wouldn't handcuff them. I said, you wouldn't? I said, why wouldn't you? He said, I'd give them this story. Now, this is my father talking. Mm-hmm. He said, you don't want no handcuffs? The guy said, well, officer, could, could we travel? Because they're traveling on planes and trains and buses. Yeah. He said, if you don't want to be handcuffed, you don't have to be handcuffed. He said, I'm going to set you between me and the aisle. And he said, I won't handcuff you. He said, so you sit between you and the aisle. And I said, well, what was that about? He said, then this is what I tell him. I'm not going to handcuff you, man. And he said, then I point to my heart. He said, in here, there's a real ugly little man, and he's ugly. You don't want me to let him out. Mm. That was my day. He said, you don't want me to let him out. Because <laughs> if I let this little ugly man out, he said, you're going to be in trouble. So my dad, my unk, unk, that's why I call him unk, instead of Uncle James, but I call him unk. Bobo, my other uncle, Jim Davis, they were all men, man. They didn't back up on nothing. They never violated nobody. Yeah. They never stole nothing. Yeah. They never hurt nobody. But they were going to be black men. So it was, it's in your blood. Yep. It was that legacy. 
Wow, we've 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 got about two minutes left, man. I can listen to you all day, uh, uh, share your life. But what what do you want to leave our listeners with? And this is the first of of of, of a couple conversations that I think yeah, we need well, to have. Only thing that I try to leave uh, individuals with is uh, my daily life is my religion. It's my nature. I'm familiar with Paul Robeson, and Robeson's book that I always loved was Here I Stand. And in that aspect of Here I Stand, uh, I think of uh, one of the art, one of the uh, poets. I can't think of his name. His name will come to me. But I say, here I stand, and he says this, when the whirlwind of fury comes from the throne of God, who can stand? Mm. I can't think of his name. Famous poet and artist. When the whirlwind of fury comes from the throne of God, who can stand? Thank you, Mr. Beach. I appreciate that you share your life and your lessons with us. And it is an honor to be able to sit with an elder, a strong black man, because the world will try to push that out of us, right? Oh, yeah. You know, that's part of the message. Mm-hmm. Part of the message is uh, once you know who you are and where you come from, and this is the final story, and I, I, I think you may have this book uh, hidden in plain sight. And I respond to this question. I wrote a book called Hidden in Plain Sight. And the question is, who are you? And when someone asked me who I am, I said, but my my father was Walter Beach Mm -hmm. Jr. And then the response to that, no, I asked you who you are. And my response to that, I can't tell you who I am until I tell you who my father was. That's right. You stand on the shoulders of the ancestors and the elders. Right. I'm Mama Bats's boy. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. how we used to say That's it, why right? I said earlier when I told Little Beach. Little That's Beach, what man. I said Little Beach. What? Yeah. Well, that means you come from somebody That's or right. from something. Connected to them. And, 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 you can't, and you can't embarrass or reflect anything negative on that. Hmm. Thank you for joining us. Uh, appreciate you. This is Dr. Bats. Here with Walter Beach III, just talking about life. We'll see you next time on Let's Talk. If you enjoyed this program, please go to WDIY.org or the WDIY app to share or become a WDIY member.